Today we're continuing the conversation between Jesus and uh, the Greeks who came to him, where he's talking to them about the importance and significance of his death, how he says it's a glorious thing. Last week we saw that he talked about how that it produced life, and we're going to be a wee bit more ambitious today and see that there are another four reasons that Jesus gives for why his death is such a glorious thing. He talks about, first of all, that it's glorious because it reveals the love of God. Secondly, because it judges the world. Thirdly, because it casts out the prince of this world. And fourthly, because it draws people to himself. So let's take these all in turn. The first one, the cross of Christ is glorious because it reveals the love of God. Look at how he says things in verse 27 as he talks with them. He says, Now is my soul troubled, and what will I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause I came unto this hour. Although Jesus knew what was going to happen, although he was moving towards that moment, that hour deliberately, it wasn't just some sort of mechanical thing for him. He was distressed and upset about it. He was troubled. I mean, we saw how upset he was at the death of Lazarus uh, when he wept over the city of Jerusalem. The Garden of Gethsemane is still to happen with all that kind of anguish and intensity there. It bothers him because he knows the emotional and spiritual price that he is going to have to pay and what it will take out of him. And it's more than that. It's much more than that. It's because that on the cross, particularly when the darkness fell, something happened when he became accountable for the sin of mankind. The wrath of God fell upon him and the justice of God was something that he became per personally responsible for. As scripture says elsewhere, he who knew no sin was made sin for us. The pure and the innocent and the righteous and holy Son of God, at that point, was constituted sin. It was concentrated on him for that period of time, and he actually became sin. That thing that was so abhorrent to him, and that had a tremendous effect uh, upon him. And yet, despite knowing all of that, he presses on. What will I say? Will I say, Father, save me from this hour? Because I know what's involved. No, it's for this cause I came unto this hour. And this is a massive demonstration of the love of God, of Christ's love for the crowd, Christ's love for the priests, Christ's love for me and for you as well. It matters to him about us. I might live my life in opposition to him. I might neglect him. I might be apathetic as far as Christ and the gospel is concerned. But I will never live my life being unloved by him. I might live my life eventually being unredeemed, but I will never live or die being unloved. Christ has loved me so much that he gave himself and he went forward to that hour. And that's why his death is such a glorious thing. As one of the hymns says, inscribed upon the cross we see in shining letters, God is love. If ever there was something that demonstrates how deeply 
God is concerned about me and you and our world, our broken, fallen world. It is the cross of Christ. God extends his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ dies for us. The second point that he makes is this. He says in verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now when, when he talks about the world in this uh, verse, he's actually referring to the world as a system of thought. The world as a kind of organised entity that is marshalled in its opposition uh, against, against God. It's, a, it's an attitude that is anti-Christ. And that world, it judged Christ. I mean, just down the road here, there will be a set of trials. Trials before the religious Jewish court, the Roman secular court, adjudicated by Pontius Pilate. And on both occasions, these courts will make a final judgment and uh, they will judge that Christ is, is worthy of death and the crucifixion will take place. But for all of that, Christ is actually, in his death, passing judgment himself on this world. And that judgment goes like this. The cross says to us that this, this world has a real problem, and sin is that problem. Breaking God's law is a real issue. Not acknowledging God, not believing in him, not worshipping or loving him, is a massively serious problem. And it is such a serious problem that our world uh, demonstrates that it took and it requires the Son of God to lay down his life in death to deal with this issue. And if we don't trust in him and believe in this death as the means of our salvation, then that world will experience the wrath of God in the same way as Christ did. That is, that is his judgment upon us and his judgment upon our attitude. And it is only the cross that can deal with that attitude. And so the question that comes to us is, if Christ's death is a judgment on this world of ours and its attitude against Christ, then what, what is my feeling, what is my view of this world? Uh, Apostle Paul wrote on one occasion about the man called Demas, that Demas has forsaken me because he has loved this present world. Uh, he abandoned Paul on his missionary travels. He decided that uh, it wasn't for him anymore. Something had grasped his heart, gripped his heart to, to a larger extent, and it was the world with all that it had to offer. We're told that we are not to be conformed to this world in Romans 12, but to be transformed instead by the renewing of our minds. We're told in 1 John not to love the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father uh, isn't in him because everything that is in this world characterized by the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh the pride and boasting uh, of life it's it's not of the father it's of the world and the world passes away but whoever does the will of god endures forever christ judged the world at the cross his judgment was 
All that it stands for is wrong, and it requires the cross to deal with it. What's my attitude to the world today? Point number three, same verse, 31. Not only now is the judgment of this world, but now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Calvary was a, a dark place. Not just because there were wicked men and women who were there, but also because there were dark spiritual supernatural forces. Satanic forces had surrounded Christ from his very point of entrance into our world. The slaughter of the innocents instigated by Herod really had Satan himself lying behind all of that. And all the points through the temptation of Christ in the wilderness by Satan to the numerous occasions when demonic people uh, faced him one of the main examples, of course, being legion. And you see that just demonstrated when the, the herd of pigs now filled and affected by these unclean spirits runs into the sea and the herd uh, perishes. It's all there, but never is it more seen than at the cross of Christ. Demons and Satan himself surround that episode. And it must have been at one point that almost a, a kind of shout of triumph, momentarily at any rate, seemed to come from their massed ranks as, as Christ dies upon the cross. And they must have thought that the destruction of God and of good uh, had, had really won the day. A momentary thing, of course, because as, as we well know, this, this verse of ours is absolutely true, that in the death of Christ, a tremendous glory shines out of that, not just for the reasons that I've already mentioned, but, but this reason here, that because now the ruler of this world is about to be cast out. And of course, the book of Hebrews chapter 2 has a tremendously helpful verse in this connection, when it says that it was through death that he destroyed him that had the power of death, that is the devil and delivered them who through that fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The death of Christ is the destruction of Satan. Through death, the one who had the power of death is himself destroyed. It is, of course, the fulfillment of the ancient prophecy from Genesis 3, where the seed of the woman, Christ, crushes the head of the serpent. And here is this writhing ancient serpent who has wreaked such havoc upon humanity and upon the world who is the source of all the distress and of the wickedness and of the disease and death um, that, that so pervades our world throughout the whole course of history and here he is now and the death of Christ destroys him it destroys him it crushes him yes he is still active. He is writhing in his death throes as his head has been crushed. But his final demise and the ultimate triumph of Christ is never in doubt. We go to our, our final book of our Bible and that is totally clear for us. And so as Christian people, we look at the death of Christ and we see in there, we see the defeat of evil and we see the, de the, the, the defeat of Satan. And we know that there is a higher power and a greater power than the power of evil. 
And it is the power of God's love and of what Christ has achieved in his death. He defeats sin at the cross. He defeats death in his resurrection. The fourth point. And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Now this of course refers to his death by crucifixion. Um, he's not saying here that all people without exception will be drawn to him. It's not some sort of message that all of humanity will be rescued uh, because of Christ's death. That would be a mistake. What it is saying is that it is all people without distinction or without discrimination can be drawn to God through the cross of Christ. The message is whoever I am, whoever you are, whatever your background, whatever you have done, whether you're a child, whether you're an older person, whether you feel that you've lived a pretty blameless life, or whether you feel that you're beyond the pale, whoever you are, if you come to the cross of Christ, there is the potential that you can be drawn to Christ. This is not a selective kind of message at any kind of level at all. The tremendous nature, the glorious nature of the message of the death of Christ is that all people, irrespective of our background, we can be drawn to God through him. Now there is a kind of drawing power in the cross. There is, there is an attraction, if you like. There, there is a magnetism in the cross of Christ for those who understand its message and uh, who grasp its importance, whose heart the Spirit of God has touched. In distinction, and in contrast to that, interestingly this is mentioned regarding Greek people in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing and it's weakness. In particular, to the Greek, it is foolishness to look at the cross and say, is this glorious? I mean, how, how can a message of someone dying upon a Roman cross be the message that brings all of these things that have been mentioned this morning, that can, that can demonstrate God's love, that can judge this world in its opposition, that can deal with Satan and, and wickedness, and can bring people to God and forgive them their sins. That's ludicrous to me. And that is the viewpoint, of course, of many of in our world. And many see it as a weak message. The Jews did that. For them, it did not at all radiate a sense of power. But the point of the gospel is this, that we look at the cross, and it is God's wisdom. It's not foolish. It's God's wisdom because it takes away, it cuts away from our feet the whole idea of personal sufficiency and pride. And it is the power of God to salvation. It is only through this that people can have this core issue of sin and guilt before God dealt with. It is only in Christ's death. And so that becomes a glorious thing rather than a foolish or a weak thing to the child of God. You've heard me say this frequently. You know, I thirst, but not as once I did. The vain delights of earth to fear. 
Thy wounds, Emmanuel, all forbid that I should find my pleasure there. It was the sight of thy dear cross. First weaned my soul from earthly things, and taught me to esteem as dross the mirth of fools and pomp of kings. The sight of thy dear cross that weaned my soul from earthly things. The cross is the only thing that can bring us to God, that can draw us away from the world and our sin and draw us to God. And that is open to all of us. And what a wonderful message it is when we see the sufficiency of this message. So is that us today? Do we look at Christ and him crucified and it thrills our soul and it touches our heart and it warms us when you see everything that it has achieved and everything that it represents? We've given four reasons today and that has hardly touched on the fringes of this. In closing, let me say what what Jesus did as this conversation, conversation was coming to an end. What he said is this, The light is among you only for a little while longer. He was going to be dead in a couple of days. You only have a short time to respond to this. You don't have very long. The light will only shine for a few days longer and then darkness will overcome you. Darkness will come upon you. And so he says to them, while you have the light, believe in the light. And you know, today never has there been a brighter light of hope that has ever shone for anyone than the light that shines from the message of the cross of Christ. That is why it is such a glorious thing for the child of God. The message of salvation, the message of Christ and him crucified. The light shines. Let's believe in that while we have the time to do so. May God bless you. Lord, thank you for this wonderful message of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his death. And thank you for all that it represents and for all that it achieves. And our prayer today is that our hearts will be increasingly drawn to Christ and that we will see in him our soul's desire. Oh Lord, often we've met uh, when we have been together physically uh, with the emblems of bread and wine before us that have helped to symbolize the death of Christ, his body given for us his blood that was spilt for us. And Lord, so even today, without us being able to do that, help us to discern Christ's death, its great significance and glory, and help us to apply its messages to our heart. And so we pray a blessing on your people and upon those who are searching for meaning, and we ask that your word will fulfill that for us in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.